Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Uh, Roxanne Durhaj. I'm uh, really happy today to have a colleague, um, Sandra Scheinbaum. She is a clinical psychologist, so we share a bit in common, um, you know, in the field of psychology and uh, formerly trained as a clinical psychologist, but now she is a functional medicine expert. She has the coaching academy for functional medicine uh, that she's uh, started quite a long time ago now. Um, and we are also um, privileged to uh, also belong uh, to the Forbes uh, Council, where uh, that's where Sandra and I met. So, Sandra, thanks so much for coming in today um, and sharing your wisdom with us um, on my show. Well, thank you, Roxanne. It is such a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So let's so let's talk. I I love to hear people's paths um, when I hear about where they are today. Um, what made you want to get in, I'm going to say the, it's a realm of health. I know my path was that I, you know, thought as a little girl that I love talking to people. And I hope that maybe one day when I grew up, that I'd be able to be able to help people by having conversations. So tell me a little bit about your path and kind of, you know, was this first career or is this something that you kind of, um, you know, transitioned to as you went? Sure. Well, if somebody had told me when I was looking at what to major in in college that one day I would be CEO of a company, I would say, you're crazy. I don't know anything about business. And um, But uh, I came of age at a time when for women, our career choices were more limited. And I was told, OK, you could be a teacher, a nurse, a secretary, go to secretarial school. And I chose to major in education and then went on in special education and was always a lover of learning, wanting to know more. So as a teacher of kids with special needs, I started getting fascinated with the idea of what is stress. And I was pretty soon I was running groups for parents, stress management, parenting techniques. Long story short, that led to getting my doctorate in clinical psychology and I became a psychologist, and those were the days when it was very much more psychoanalytic-based, and mind-body medicine did not have a name, but that fascinated me. And it was for a personal reason, because I was having panic attacks. I also had this condition called rainouts, where your hands and feet get white when it's cold. And someone said, one of my teachers said, oh, you can, uh, real, that'll be really a, a great, uh, if we taught you biofeedback, enroll in this workshop in biofeedback, and that could really help you on both levels. And so I did, and that was life-changing. And I realized, wow, I can just breathe and I can use some guided imagery and I can warm my hands or I can stop a panic attack. And so I went on to specialize in mind-body medicine, which then I gradually merged with helping people to change their thoughts so that they have a different emotion, that they're not upsetting themselves all the time. 
And at the same time, on a personal level, I was always interested in food and how nutrition it plays a big role. Again, for personal reasons, I had a serious addiction to sugar and would literally binge on cakes and candies. And so at the time, we didn't associate any connection between what you ate and certainly mood states and anxiety or depression. But that was what I eventually started to study. And this was after having a long career, close to 40 years as a psychologist. But I went to study at the Institute for Functional Medicine. And that was eye-opening, where we're really looking at root causes of chronic illness, including anxiety and, and, and other emotional uh, disorders. So I had this idea then at 65, uh, rather than retiring, that I would create a school that would train people to be health coaches that would really focus on the principles of functional medicine, as well as positive psychology and mind-body medicine, the things that I knew backwards and forwards. And so I approached the Institute for Functional Medicine. They liked the idea. They had wanted to start a coaching program for a long time. The right person hadn't come along. And since I had just trained in functional medicine and I was a psychologist, they uh, entered into a collaboration agreement. And uh, no, I was 65. People thought, I'll just retire. And what do you need to do this for? And I just felt this is my mission to train health coaches, to partner with people, to help them with physical as well as uh, the epidemic of mental uh, illness and issues that are related to that are lifestyle connected. Uh, so that is my story and um, in terms of how it happened, but lots of twists and turns a along the way. Well, it's, it's not interesting, right? Because, you know, myself at, at the stage I'm at, and if you're meeting someone just getting in the field, they say, how did you get here? And it's never a linear path. Yeah. And I think of when I was training and, you know, wanting to help people, <clears throat> but loved just meandering into the different aspects of overall whole individual and I know when I trained as well they didn't take the body into um, into consideration as much so I remember doing um, a lot of uh, complex PTSD in my, early in my career mm -hmm. and the somatic was so present you could see it but there was no language or knowledge to go along with it so going back to that whole element of the whole person I think of you know, when I started um, in grad school, every, it was well-intentioned, right? Like you're dealing with people's minds, but there was there's still that clear delineation between um, the physical and the mental. And when I would deal with some of these clients, it was clear. They'd be in that, you know, hyper-aroused state when they were in process, but there was, there was no language associated with that element of looking at the whole person. To hear someone flooded, and you would understand this. And, you know, we were trying to still work with the cognitions and what they could do different, but what was missing is the somatic and clearly functional medicine. And I want you to talk, you know, about that evolution when you went from clinical to finding the path. And it's interesting that having anxiety, now you've, you've lived it, so you understand it. Yes. To come out the other side of it and how the body 
is so very, very interesting um, in what, what you kind of the path that you took. And clearly that most people like us now recognize that was a gaping, um, it was a gaping hole in, in, the, in the helping people with psychological problems. Yes, absolutely. And a perfect example of this mind-body connection would be you get embarrassed. Well, some, you blush, for example, or uh, something happens and your heart starts to race. Well, it's a clear evidence. We can't separate what's and what's real in the mind is real in the body. So it really, this comes from cognitive behavioral work and looking at how you interpret events, how you interpret emotions, and how you can use a different approach to have a different perspective and then change that emotional state. Uh, but functional medicine is really uh, not a way of practicing medicine. It's the medicine of why. And the example would be if you go to your, let's say you have a rash and you go to your dermatologist and they're going to diagnose it. So they name it. And then they're going to say how we treat it. Okay, we'll give you a cream. So they're addressing the symptom. Go to a functional medicine doctor and you have a rash. They would look at your timeline, your story, and would see, okay, even back to your family history, your birth history, maybe you were bottle fed, maybe you had a lot of antibiotics. Well, that's going to have an impact on your microbiome in your gut. And maybe now not just you have a rash, but maybe you also, maybe you have depression, maybe you have gut issues, maybe you have constipation, for example. Okay, what is causing all of those? What's the root cause? It could be inflammation. And then how do you address that? And it's typically diet and lifestyle. So maybe you're eating lots of gluten and it turns out you're sensitive to gluten or maybe it's dairy or maybe it's a whole combination of foods and you go on elimination diet to be the detective to determine what are some of the culprits. And then for a short period of time, you eliminate them. And maybe it's, it's looking at things like um, the oils that you have in, in your diet. Maybe you have too much, maybe it's your toxic load. Maybe you do a toxic exposure questionnaire and it turns out that you're living with mold or other issues or you're, you're eating a lot of seafood every day and tuna and you've got high mercury levels. So it's looking at those root causes and then addressing them uh, through diet and lifestyle change. And lifestyle, it is that combination. It is your, what are you eating and when are you eating? What about movement and exercise during the day? The, your stress, your relationships, and looking at those factors and, and as well as sleep. So we call those little modifiable lifestyle factors. And that's where the health coach comes in. And that was my area to because you might see a functional medicine doctor and functional medicine is evidence-based. So it's based on what the research is showing. It's not one size fits all. It's not here's the keto diet and it's good for everybody or everybody needs to be paleo or vegan. It's looking at your profile, your it's precision personalized medicine. Then you get recommendations and that's where the coach comes in helping people to decide how are they going to start? What are the obstacles? And helping them to achieve success in reaching what their goals may be. You know, that's that's fascinating, right? Because I always say holistically, you know, um, as I've gotten older, um, 
I've realized that like this, how much changes I had to make. Like when you're younger, maybe you're not thinking about it as much, but as I got into my fifties, then there was certain things. I realized I had to do certain things early in the day. Like, let's say I'd get tired. So I wouldn't try to exercise. If I got to do a bit of exercise later, that would be great. But when I was younger, I would exercise early. But as I got older, I got too tired. So guess what? By the time it's 5.30 at 6 o'clock at night, I didn't have the energy. So it's interesting. What I love about this and the whole concept of looking holistically at the individual, uh, what they're eating, like you said, movement, stressors. So obviously, as we get older, um, our body can tolerate. Yes, it can still you know, tolerate stress. But what kind of things do you need to do to inoculate yourself to some degree even more? Because the body's needing more from you. And, and diet, like, you know, when you talk about, and I'm trying to think, I'm going to forget the colleague's name that you and I chatted about that I follow, it, his name just escaped me. But talk a little bit about um, what, what we know about the guts, because I think that's so key. And, I, you know, I think we, we kind of still separate out diet. Yeah, well, you know, when you're older, it's kind of like, let's stay in shape and eat good and all that. But as we're getting more knowledge, it's recognizing that diet is such a core fundamental when it comes to mental well-being and psychological well-being. So I'd like you to speak a little bit about that and share with people what you know and kind of what most of your coaches kind of uh, deal with when they deal with individuals that come to them. Well, the gut is most people in functional medicine and naturopathic medicine really turn to gut health first. And uh, often people don't realize that the gut is your second brain. It's probably more important in terms of driving the, as the decision maker. And we produce serotonin in our gut, our immune system, it's our gut, because the gut, it's, we tend to think of, okay, our stomach, our intestines, but it begins in your mouth and it is long and it is where we take in foreigners. So everything that comes in has to be, we can be absorbing things that are not our friends. And the immune system is the job to think friend or foe. And sometimes it misses the mark and starts attacking, like in the case of it thinks it's going to attack gluten, but uh uh-oh, it attacks the thyroid, let's say, instead. And then you have Hashimoto's. um, So this is understanding the key role. And the example, uh, Dr. David Perlmutter, who is uh, one of the noted functional medicine neurologists, and now with his son, Austin, who is also a physician, they wrote a book called Brainwash. So consider that, let's say you have a day and you're just making bad decisions, you're on edge, you're irritable, and what did you eat the day before and when did you eat it or a few days before? So let's say that you ate late, maybe you had dessert, maybe you had something really close to bed, sugary foods, overly processed foods. And what happens is in a nutshell, and they go into great detail in the book, but these food, it's like they hijack your brain. The brain now can't the executive functioning is compromised. So because let's say you are not making decisions as well, 
So the executive function where you plan and you reason and you apply good judgment, and that's really important. But when your diet is consisting of these ultra-processed foods and you are perhaps snacking all day long, then that is going to ultimately translate to your brain not getting the nutrients that it needs and your executive functioning is compromised because that's what goes first. And we know this from the stress response. So with anxiety, with panic, for example, the response that where you go into this fight or flight alarm response, that is life or death. You have to have that. But let's say there's a wild animal coming towards you. You have to either fight or run away. The other um, response is to freeze. Um, but at that time, if this is a no-brainer, there's no decision-making. You don't have to plan. You just jump in to those responses. You know how to, the body knows. It's an instinct. You know how to fight or run away. But just to reason it out, that is compromised. So the blood is shunted away from that center of the brain. So, so those are you know just some of the things that I think when we look at gut health is not just in the gut. What is in the gut uh, doesn't just stay in the gut. It is really uh, every cell. And we're every day finding more and more about the role of the microbiome and the trillions of different uh, organisms that reside there. And it's this is a science that is really just in its infancy, where uh, we may get to the point where this will be driving medical decisions. Uh, we've made great inroads. And so looking at prebiotics, pro, uh, probiotics, there's even now something called postbiotics. And so looking at you know, those food choices, but the good news is that this can change quickly. And so there's a lot of turnover. And so I'm very much of an optimist looking at how we can change. We can change our emotions. We can change neural pathways by practicing and rehearsing things. We create new neural pathways. And by making some changes in terms of these big factors that we just mentioned, our stress, our relationships, our sleep, our movement during the day, our food, we can, all of those impact gut health. And that changes the microbiome consistently. Consistency turns over frequently. So it's 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 like one, it's like an additive effect, right? The, the person, yes. the holistic organization, it's like an organization. Yes. And these parts have to kind of work synergistically to create, you know, um, overall health. And I, you know, I often think, you know, when in the roles that I play, whether it's speaking to teams or it's that element of that intuitively our body knows to heal how it, what it needs to heal. But if we're doing things that's diametrically opposed to health and we're not aware, right? Like maybe someone is going to see a clinical psychologist, but you know, they're, they're taking on massive, massive amount of changes, or maybe they're in a relationship that's really draining them, or it's detrimental, you know, there's conflict every day. And you're looking at parts of the whole, like the traditional kind of Western medicine just says, hey, Roxanne, you've got a bit of anxiety, you're having panic attacks. Here's the anti-anxiety medication that you need versus saying, okay, 
in Canada, I think the average physician, I, you know, in the US, I'm going to say it's probably different, maybe not. The average family physician sees someone, Sandra, about six minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Minutes. So you're lucky if you say, why are you there? What are the symptoms? If you can articulate it enough and to say potentially what you've tried. And here's the next, um, you know, up and coming popular anti-anxiety medication. Here you go. And that's the extent of it. So let's yeah. talk about that bridge. I'm going to assume that uh, with functional medicine, you're looking at physicians or people that are wanting to do that work. But what, what does Western medicine think of functional medicine? And is there a divide? Because I'm interested because I think when you work with companies, um, you know, they would look at the pharmacological trending analysis of what employees are, are using, but are they willing to look at the overall perspective of some of the things that you might be able to show around? Sure. So uh, the divide was great. I love uh, when I was uh, starting this work, late 70s, early 80s, and I would have meetings with physicians. I remember one cardiologist, uh, he, I was in his office, we were talking about how breathing and mindfulness. We didn't talk about meditation much back then, but it was use of relaxation techniques and breathing, how that would help his cardiology patients. And he stood up and he held up the New England Journal of Medicine that was on his desk. And he said, shame on you. You went to Northwestern University. I would graduate there as well peddling this garbage. This is nonsense. When I see what you're talking about, that breathing can help by your meditation, not meditate, mindfulness can help. When it's in the New England Journal, then you can come back and I'll refer patients to you. Well, bottom line, uh, his younger associates started referring people they did really well. And there have been research there. Now there's, there are hundreds of studies and now it's common for physicians to recommend meditation, mindfulness training to their patients. So those who are conventionally trained, I think we also saw uh, after the pandemic, a lot of doctors exhausted, burned out. This is a serious, serious problem. Many of them are saying there has to be something else. They are also frustrated. They are seeing their patients not getting better. Recent statistic, 88% of adult Americans are considered metabolically unhealthy. And those are shocking statistics and it's increasing. Number of people diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, young children with fatty liver disease, pediatric conferences are talking about fatty liver. This was something we never, ever saw, especially other than in alcoholics, certainly not in a pediatric population. So they are frustrated and they realize we have to do something. And so there is a gradual coming together People who are looking, who are in the medical community as healthcare professionals are looking at functional integrative medicine approaches. And we have seen a lot of interest, but it is also patient-driven. Consumers want this. They are really feeling like there's got to be other answers. And so this is largely driven by uh, people themselves, patients who are wanting something different. They want to feel better. So the Institute for Functional Medicine, uh, their conferences are selling out. They're getting a lot of medical doctors saying, I've 
I just want to be, uh, I want, I have a mission. You know, I, this is not what I went to medical school for, uh, to just be a, a, a cog in the wheel of this large hospital system where I spend my days just entering in the medical record and I'm not really uh, as effective as with my patients as I would like to be. So they're studying functional medicine. And we're seeing the Cleveland Clinic opened the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine a number of years ago. We're seeing other hospitals following suit. Amazing, because you know, I, I you know I think of, as myself as a young clinician, and you know you see people right. They go on the antidepressants or the anti-anxiety, and um, you know, and then you start to talk to them about other things, right? And they'd be like, "Well, you know, I tried it, but it didn't work," and they expect the outcome to be different because the because the medicine right? The anti-anxiety right. make me less anxious, but I'm still anxious, but I'm not learning any new skills. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two, so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.